Good morning, good morning, good morning. Wow, you guys are a chatty bunch this morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, welcome to uh, CTK Ferndale. My name is Rich, campus pastor here, and we are really glad to have you out today. I hope you are encouraged, built up, and wherever you are at coming in this morning, we just pray that you are, are leaving in a better place because you've encountered Jesus today. Uh, you know, nobody likes the words keep out. Uh, I don't think there's many people that are a fan of those two words. Uh, my family, so uh, we've lived in Ferndale now for 14 years. And uh, for all but two of those 14 years, we've pretty well lived right next door to a creek that maybe a lot of you don't even know exists. But it's called Cedar Creek. Did anybody know there's a Cedar Creek in Ferndale? Yeah, okay. Most of you did. Okay. If you don't know about it, it's, it's over there kind of on the north side of town. And uh, when we first moved here, uh, we were probably, I don't know, make a two or three minute walk from Cedar Creek. And just down, we were in Vista Ridge, and just down the street, there was just all the trees. And we had lived up in northern BC before here, where it was just all poplar trees, basically. And so, so here's all these cedar trees and spruce trees and all these different trees and a little trail that kind of led down to this ravine that was Cedar Creek flowing through the north side of town. And so at first we were like down there having a good time. We'd send the, send the kids off and they just, it was just like adventure. It was all these trees and in the, the spring there'd be salmon berries and this little, this little beautiful creek just kind of meandering its way down through the ravine. We had a great time until one day we were having a conversation with a neighbor of ours who also was pretty adventurous like me, had two boys and uh, we were talking with him about Cedar Creek and he told us about how he'd been slapped with like a four or $500 fine because he had built a trail from his house that was at the top of the ravine. He'd started to build a trail down to Cedar Creek, which apparently is a big, massive no-no. So if you are thinking about building a trail to Cedar Creek from your house, don't do that. So uh, trips down to Cedar Creek kind of went away. Uh, about five or six years later, we kind of moved a couple times and and uh, five or six years after that event, we moved down to Malloy, Malloy Village. And where our house is in Malloy is basically a stone's throw from Cedar Creek. We could literally grab a rock and just a gentle throw, and it's going in Cedar Creek. Well, this is about six years ago. And so we, uh, uh, my son was down there with a couple of his friends. And they saw this, this creek. And again, it's just this, like, it kind of invites you in. If you like adventure, it invites, it pulls you in because it's just this cool place. And uh, right behind our house, there was actually a little bit of a pool. And so he was down there with a couple of his friends, not remembering any of this stuff from the past, uh, how we weren't, we weren't supposed to be down there. And so he's down there, though, and one of our neighbors saw this and was not very happy and just, like, laid into him. Uh, him and his friends came home, and they just felt awful. Well, the ne very next day, we look out our window, and there's literally an excavator on Cedar Creek kind of getting rid of all the, the little trails that went that they had gone down to get to Cedar Creek. And I was thinking, okay, so you're worried about the, the, the footprints of 11 and 12-year-old boys, but excavators, no problem. So... <laughs> So the neighbor, though, put up all these signs. They're, they're still there to this day. Uh, keep out, no trespassing. Got the message loud and, loud and clear. We, we cannot go down into the Cedar Creek. And uh, 
Now across from my house, there's a new neighborhood, Malloy Terrace, maybe some of you live there, and they've built a trail that just it goes all the, way, all the way along the top of the ravine that goes down to the Cedar Creek. And as you walk this trail, you see that there's all these little offshoots that go down to the Cedar Creek, and as you, you and it, it, again, it just entices you because it's like this enchanted forest. But guess what's at the top of, the, of all those trails now? Signs that say, no trespassing, keep out, do not go down into this area. Now, I understand the need to protect salmon habitat and all that water source stuff, but still, it's never a good feeling to be told, keep out, no trespassing. And the reason that it's, it's usually not a good thing, why none of us appreciates getting ready to head down a, a cool area, a cool trail, whatever, is because usually on the other side of that keep out sign is something that's very intriguing to you, something that's very interesting. Maybe it's just simply adventure. Maybe it's the unknown. Maybe it's, it's just, it just pulls to you on the inside to go. Um, several summers ago, we went on a family vacation to, to L.A., and we did the whole Disneyland thing and Santa Monica Beach. We went up to the Griffith Observatory and took pictures with the Hollywood sign in the background, all that kind of stuff. And at some point, as we were walking down Hollywood Boulevard, somebody was try had, had this map that they were trying to sell everybody that had the addresses of a, a whole bunch of celebrities. And so, have you ever seen these maps before? If you go to LA, someone's gonna try to sell you one of these, these maps, especially if you're on Hollywood Boulevard. Well, at some point, uh, we, we grabbed a hold of one of these, and to be honest, I was a little uncomfortable having the addresses of a bunch of strangers that we were about to stock in my hand. <laughs> but we were in Hollywood. Everybody else was doing it. We had a bunch of teenagers, and, and they thought, let's, let's, let's go check out these, these houses. And so one of the first places that we went to, Becky has always been somewhat of a Jennifer Lopez fan, and so uh, Jennifer Lopez hit her house. Or, 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 yeah, she's not on the wall. Don't get any wrong ideas here. <laughs> but we pulled out our little map, and sure enough, there was her house. And so off we went in our minivan, all seven of the Warner clan, and we're just like off on an adventure through Beverly Hills or whatever part it was there of, of L.A. And eventually we come winding down the street, and we come up to her house. And when we got there, I mean, she must have heard that we were on the way because she was out front. I mean, she had like the gate propped open. She had like a whole tray of snacks for us, and she was inviting us in just like this. No, not, not exactly. <laughs> When we pulled up to her house, this is, this is what we were greeted with on the, the way in. That's it. If you ever go to Hollywood and you see these maps of celebrities' homes and you want to go check them out, don't. Because every single one is like this. It's just a gate. And it doesn't even need to have a keep out sign, no trespassing sign. Because that picture says keep out don't even think about trying to cross this fence because if you do, we're going to have security and dogs on you in a heartbeat and you will be torn to pieces. Don't even think about doing it. <laughs> if you grew up reading books like Lord of the Rings, though, um, Chronicles of Narnia, um, a lot of the key features of many of these stories is there, there's a barrier between where you are and where you want to be. So if you read the line in The Witch in the Wardrobe, you know that if the kids wanted to go into Narnia, there was a barrier. They had to go into this closet. And when they went into this closet, they were, they were transported to, to Narnia. If in Lord of the Rings, it's the doors of Durin that bar the entrance to the Misty Mountains. And for most of history, the most important place on earth 
has been blocked by a barrier, a keep out sign, if you will. And in that place, we've been singing about it this morning, that place is the presence of God. There was a barrier, a keep out sign that kept humanity from his presence. Well, why would God want to keep people out of his presence? The answer is, he didn't. God's plan from the very beginning was that there would be no barrier between him and us, that everything that he created had this in mind. Um, the picture that you get in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning is this picture of God being present, God being there. It actually talks about how the man and his wife, this is Adam and Eve in the garden, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, just get that picture. God is there. They're so aware that he is there that they could hear him walking in the garden. He, he is present. And what is he doing? He's just kind of taking a little stroll through the garden. But as God walks in the garden, all is not well. Um, last week, we talked about this. Adam and Eve have actually already turned their back on their creator. They have disobeyed. They've sinned. And the Bible goes on to say they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So rather than be with God there in his presence, the Bible says that they, they hide. You know, sin jacks us up in a lot of different ways. I mean, we could, we could talk for weeks about the number of ways that sin just messes up our lives. But you could probably argue that the greatest way that sin messes us up is that rather than running towards the presence of God, we instead run away from the presence of God. And, and isn't this what just keeps so many people from even coming to a church service on a Sunday morning? They're like, oh, I've messed up this week. I've screwed up. I've failed. I've gone back. I've re if, I, if I show up, I'll be rejected. I'll just feel so guilty. Now I'll just, I'll just stay home. So sin enters the picture, and Adam and Eve are effectively banned from the presence of God. And last week we read the verse where, where they are banned. They're, they're told they can't be in the Garden of Eden. And at the, the gateway to the Garden of Eden, there stands an angel with a flashing sword, a big keep-out sign. But, but there's a problem here. Remember, God created humanity to actually be with him, to be in, in friendship with him, loving relationship with him. And so God begins to put a plan to work. God raises up a people. He raises up um, a people that he's going to call his own. Uh, we call them the Israelites. God commands Israel to build him a dwelling place. And it's, it's, it's this building. Uh, originally it was called a tent. Then, it, then it, it became more of a temple. And at the heart of this building, this temple, is a place that was called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. Um, there's different variations of the, of the temple um, in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the variations of the temple was it, was it was made by a king named King Solomon, and this most holy place was a, essentially a cube that was 30 by 30 feet. Um, it actually was lined all around the inside with just solid gold, 24 tons of gold. And inside this most holy place, there's just a few things. There's two handcrafted cherubim or angels, and then the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark, it, it represented God's presence among his people. But, but understand this room, the, the Holy of Holies, 
It's, it's sacred. You know, I imagine just being even near this, there's like this, this aura about it. It's just sacred and holy. You're probably just in, in awe and wonder even being near the, the temple. And, and, and here's this place where God is. The Holy of Holies, it, it represented the unapproachable presence of God. Now, the temple is actually no more. It was actually destroyed by the Romans way back in 70 AD. But to this day, there's some Orthodox Jews that won't, won't go anywhere near the Temple Mount for fear that they might accidentally step on what was the Holy of Holies. I mean, this is a place that is, is, is very sacred. It's the place where, where, where heaven and earth came together. It was like a microcosm of, of Eden and that this place, the Holy of Holies, would now be the place where humanity experienced the presence of God. And maybe you're here and you're, you've got some, some theology around the presence of God and you're going, okay, this is all a little bit confusing because I thought, I thought the presence of God was everywhere. Like, don't, don't Christians talk about how God is all over the place? Like, you can't, you can't get away from him. What's this talk about experiencing the presence of God? Now, you're correct in saying that the presence of God is everywhere because he is. He's everywhere. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 139 said, it doesn't matter how high I go. You can go to the heights, you're there. I can go to the depths, you're there. You are everywhere. God is present everywhere. It doesn't matter where you're at. Um, it's why some guy can be in the, the bar drowning his troubles in, in his drink and the Holy Spirit shows up in that moment with conviction. God is everywhere. But then there's something called his manifest presence. It's those places in those moments where he concentrates the very essence of his powerful being. It's that strong sense, that awareness that, that you get sometimes where it just kind of like, oh man, God just walked in the room. You know he's there. Um, author A.W. Tozer, he talked about how the presence and the manifestation of that presence, to manif manifest is simply a word that means to show, to display, to demonstrate. He, he talks about how the, the presence and the manifestation of that presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it, but he is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. This is the story of Jacob. There's a story in the Bible, this guy named Jacob, he's, he has this dream one night in, the, in this dream, it's just this crazy God dream, and he wakes up from this dream, and, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, the Bible says, and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It's why the Bible commands us to seek his face. Even though he's everywhere, the Bible says seek his face. Well, what is it that we're after? We're after a closeness, an intimacy where you know God. We're after his presence. So going back to the temple, God's presence is there. This little, this room, the holy of holies, the most holy place. God is there be, behind this, this, this curtain and there's a big problem, though, because this is the problem. Because of humanity's sin, hardly anybody was actually allowed to go inside the Holy of Holies. And in order to make sure the message got across, God instructed 
um, his people to build a curtain that would serve as a big keep out sign from the Holy of Holies. The Bible says when God gave the instructions, it says it goes like this, inside of the tabernacle or the temple, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang the inner curtain from clasps and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the, the holy place from the most holy place. And it all kind of begs the question again, well, why wouldn't God want people close to him? If the Ark of the Covenant and the most holy place, if that represented God's presence, why wouldn't God just want people close to him? Is he like some kind of grumpy, unloving, cranky old man who just wants to have his space and wants nobody to be around him? No, actually, it's just the opposite. His love compelled him to keep sinful humanity from the holiness of his presence. Get this, if people so much as touched the Ark of the Covenant, they would die. You ever heard of a guy named Uzzah? Uzzah was this guy that was, at one point, the Ark of the Covenant was being moved from one place to the next place, and there was this whole protocol in place for moving the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is there. It's on this, this back of this, this cart that's being pulled by a team of oxen. And as the Ark of the Covenant is being pulled along, all of a sudden it starts to get a little bit shaky. And Uzzah, thinking that he's doing a good thing, he reaches out to stabilize the Ark. And the Bible says that God struck him dead. God is a holy, holy God. And our minds can't even begin to, to comprehend just how holy God is. I mean, if you're just to imagine whatever you think of when you think of pure, clean, the most pure, clean thing that you can think of, it doesn't even come close to describing the holiness of our God. The only person that was allowed into God's presence was the high priest, the holiest one of the land, so to speak. And he, he was only even allowed in that most holy place. He could only go in there one time a year on a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where he would go in and he would, he would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. For everybody else, the signs were very clear. Keep out. Keep out. Well, eventually the temple that King Solomon built was destroyed. Raiders came and stole the ark, and it's been lost ever since. Yeah, some of you will catch that later on. A, a new temple was built by King Herod. It had a holy of holies in it, just like the old temple. But inside of this most holy place, there was no ark of the, the covenant. All there was was, uh, there's different ideas around what was in there. Some people think there was just a slab that kind of represented the, the, the ark. Others say there was a stone in there. But, but there, was, there was no Ark of the Covenant. And so then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he doesn't spend much time at this temple. When he does, though, he shows up to rebuke the religious leaders for turning, in, turning the temple into something that it was never meant to be. I mean, there's that whole scene where he goes in, he just, he throws the tables over, and he is, he's upset, he's angry that they have made the temple into just like a marketplace. It's no longer about the presence of God. Interesting. Here's these re religious leaders, the priests, 
the ones who were meant to be gatekeepers of the, the Holy of Holies, entrusted with the very presence of God. And what happens when Jesus shows up on the scene, he shows up as the embodied, I mean, he's God in the flesh. And they don't even recognize him. They were entrusted to kind of look out for this temple, entrusted with the, the presence of God. But here comes Jesus, and they don't recognize him. These same priests, these religious leaders, would actually eventually have Jesus, God in the flesh, nailed to a cross. And imagine with me just for a minute. So here's Jesus. He's hanging on a cross. And there's a very strong possibility that as he's hanging there on the cross, he, can, he could see the temple off in the distance. The temple had this very, above the holy of holies was this very high place. And, and he's hanging there on the cross. And here's the temple in the distance, the place where for most of human history, there had been this big giant curtain, the big keep out sign between God and his people. But Jesus has come to change all that. He has come to take down the keep out sign to open up the way so that we can come into his presence. This is why he, he dies on the cross. And as Jesus is there and he breathes his last breath, something incredible happens at the temple. The Bible says, when, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And in that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Ripped. And significant, isn't it, that, you know, if you, you would think if, you're, if you were to tear a curtain at your house, you're not going to likely tear it from top to bottom. You're going to tear it from the bottom up. But this temple was ripped apart by God himself. Torn in two. Only one person could do that. That's God. And God was sending the message loud and clear. You no longer have to remain outside of my presence. Through the blood of Jesus, you are now invited in. The writer of Hebrews put it like this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. This is good news for us today. Jesus comes along. He demolishes the barriers. He kicks over the, the keep out signs. And he says, now you can come right into my presence. As we wrap up this morning, I just have a few thoughts, just a few thoughts in closing that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak and challenge you on the, today. First thing is this. The layers of access into God's presence are gone. They're gone. But today... We often behave and act like the layers of access into God's presence are still there. So some of you, you think the place to meet God is at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. As if there's something special and holy about this building. And you can encounter God anywhere, 
anytime. The, the layers of access are gone. Sometimes we think that, that, that the longer people are Christians, here's another way we think about the, there's layers of access. Sometimes we think that the, the longer that someone's a Christian, the more access they have into God's presence. It's almost like, oh, they've been a follower of Jesus for 35, 40 years, so now God's come along and just, he's hung a VIP necklace around their, their, their neck, and they just get into God's presence quicker. No, that's not how it works. Because of Jesus, the presence of God is just as accessible for the one who's been a serial killer their whole lives as it is for the person who's been a follower of Jesus their whole lives. That's the kind of God we serve. You don't believe me? Just look at the Apostle Paul. God shows up. He encounters the presence of God even though he's been a murderer. He's been killing Christians. He, he has just as much access to the presence of God as anybody else. Get rid of the limits and whatever religious constraints you have around the presence of God, you can encounter the presence of God. You can go into the presence of God any time of day, anywhere. That's good news. Second thing is this. Anyone can encounter the presence of God anytime. You need to know something about being a follower of Jesus. There, there's a way to live the Christian life that rarely, if ever, encounters the presence of God which is really sad. But there's a way to live the Christian life where you just rarely encounter the presence of God. You know, for some, maybe it just intellectually made sense to you, and so you, you, gave your, you put your, your faith in Jesus. Maybe for somebody else, it's just you were born into a Christian family, and you just kind of been raised in that Christian family. You, you've been sitting around the church, and you just hear all this stuff, and you believe, and, but, but you just, it's just this intellectual thing for you where you don't really ever actually encounter the presence of God. He's maybe the person that you've heard sung about in church. You hear a preacher get up and talk about this Jesus guy, but, but you don't ever really encounter the presence of God. And there's another way, though, where you live your life pursuing his presence. You live your life seeking his face. You want to know him, and you want to be close to him. And let me just tell you, you can encounter and experience the presence of God, the person of Jesus, in ways that are very powerful. I mean, just in the past couple months, just as an, some examples, I've had these God encounters that have, have left me, like, wrecked in all the right ways. Um, just about five or six weeks ago, um, I don't often have God dreams, but I... I I had this, this dream. It was, a, it was a God speaking through this dream. And the moment that I woke up, this was like 6.30 a.m. on a Friday morning. The moment I woke up, immediately God says, this is what that dream meant. And I was so overwhelmed with the presence of God that I was literally a weepy mess on the floor for the first hour of the day. That's encountering the presence of God. And I'm not saying that it has to be like, look like that or any of that kind of stuff, but, but all that to say, you can encounter the presence of God. Two weeks ago, I was at this pastor's prayer retreat, being led through these, these prayer exercises, and uh, we were looking at just kind of studying John 11, and, and be, being given these opportunities to just hear God, and, and again, presence of God shows up. I feel like God was saying, hey, Rich, I'm about to, to kind of do something in your life like I did with Lazarus. I'm about to bring new life in a way you just haven't experienced. And I was, just, again, just overwhelmed with the presence of God. And, and maybe you're going, oh, Rich, that just happens because you're a pastor. 
if you think that, then you've missed everything that we've just talked about. The layers of access are gone. The presence of God is for everybody. Followers of Jesus should expect to encounter him everywhere. You just should. Third thing is this. There are things that you can do that will increase his presence in your life. There are things that you can do that will increase his presence. Now we're talking about that manifest presence where he shows up. There are some of you that have more of God than others. And I know that that's like, um, okay, how do I, what, what does that mean? What does that even look like? And, and let me just explain a little bit about how this, it's, it's mysterious, but this is how, how it works. Because, you know, sometimes when we're talking about God and how he works, it's actually helpful to use human language. When we talk about closeness to a person, what do we, what do we use? We use words like near and far, um, even though physical distance isn't what we're describing. For example, you can be living in the same house with the same person, might even be your spouse, but living in the same house with the same person, they're present, but you would describe your relationship with them with these kind of words. We have grown distant. We have grown apart. There is a coldness there. There is, there's, there's not a closeness. Even though you live in the very same house and you're physically present, you would describe your relationship in terms of distance, proximity. And, and vice versa, you would also say, may, maybe you've been present in the same house, but for whatever reasons, things have changed for the better, and you would describe things and go, hey, there's no longer a distance. We're now close together. We're, we, we were apart but now we're just, there's, there's a, a, a difference. You know, when I get uh, apart from Becky, even though we live together in the same house, sleep in the same bed together, but when we grow apart, this is one of the, the phrases that she will often use, and I'm sure some of you spouses in the room will recognize this phrase. She'll say, it's like you're, you're present, but you're not really here. You've gotten so distracted with life and busyness and work and on and on and on you could go. It's like you're, you're, you're present. I see you all the time, but it's, it's like you're, you're not really here. It's the same thing with God. He is always there, but are you close to him? You understand what I'm saying? He's always there, but are you close to him? Are you experiencing, experiencing his presence, or is he distant? In the book of Revelation, there's this picture of Jesus that Becky alluded to this morning in the worship service where he's standing at the door and he's knocking. This is in Revelation 3. He is knocking on the door. And, and a lot of times people will look at this passage in, in Revelation 3 and they'll think that Jesus is knocking on the door of the hearts of unbelievers. But this is actually, Revelation 3 is addressed to the church, God's people. And, and he's, knocking, he's knocking on the door there, and, and the Bible talks about how this group of, this, this particular church here, um, they have grown distant. They're neither hot nor cold in their relationship with God. They're just there. They're just doing their thing. They're showing up. They're just, they're, they're showing up in church. They're doing their, they're, they're helping out here and there. And, and they're just going through their lives and, and just, they're just there. But they're not encountering the presence of God. 
And Jesus comes and says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Isn't this just, this is so interesting here. Throughout almost all of human history up until the cross, the message from God was here's the, here's, the, here's the barrier. Stay out of the Garden of Eden. Stay out of the temple. Here's the gate. Here's the curtain. All that stuff. Stay out, stay out, stay out, stay out. And hasn't it just completely flipped? Jesus here is going, don't stay out. Hey, just open the door. I want to come in. I want to come in and eat with you. I want to I, I want to be where you're you're at. I want to I want you to hear my voice. I want to be connected with you. And there are some doors that you can open to more of his presence in your life. There's there's probably a lot of them, but I just want to I want to close with just two. Two two doors that you can open in your life that will open the door to more of his presence in his life in your life. And the first one is this holiness. 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 Holiness is just describing what it looks like to be set apart, to live a, a life of righteousness, following God's way. Holiness. And, and yes, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are made holy in that moment by the blood of the, the Lamb. And, and there's, there, there's no way we'd ever be able to come close to His presence if we weren't. But there's something about walking in holiness that will open up the door to more of his presence in your life. Ephesians 4 mentions many of the ways, we read this last week, that we can live in, in sin even as followers of Jesus. And near the end, it says this. It says, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. And when we don't walk in holiness, we don't experience and encounter the presence of God. At least not as much as someone who's walking in holiness. And, and I know that in my own life that if I want to quench what, what God's spirit is doing in me, if I want to put out the fire of his holy presence, the quickest way for me to do that is by living in sin. Quickest way. By not walking in holiness. And the way to handle the presence of God is holiness holiness. I have to guard what I watch on TV. Because if I'm putting stuff in front of my eyes that's just like glorifying sin, glorifying violence, glorifying all that stuff, I'm not encountering the presence of God when I'm doing it differently. I have to, I have to watch what I listen to. Because if I'm filling my mind with just stuff that does not glorify God, it, it, it just does. I'm just, I, I can't even explain it to you, but it just does something. I don't, I do not encounter the presence of God. And, and I, I do all this not because I'm living under some, some sort of burden. This isn't an, something where you're going, okay, if I just follow all these steps, I'll encounter, I'll encounter God. That's not what this, it's not about all that. No, I live this way because nothing else matters to me as much as encountering and experiencing his presence in my life. And so if it means I've got to turn away from sin and turn towards him, I'll do that. Because I've found that holiness opens the door to more of his presence in my life. When I please him, when I'm about following him, obeying him, I am much more likely to encounter his presence on a regular basis. So that's number one door. Holiness opens the door to more of his presence. And the number two thing is this. Pursue him with all your heart. 
Pursue him. And there are many ways that you can do this. You know, we're doing this this morning. We're worshiping here today. Worship is one of the ways that you pursue God. And I'm sure that there are some of you, even as we've been singing today, you're like, man, in the middle of worship, I don't know what happened to me, but all of a sudden I felt something. All of a sudden as we were worshiping, I just was, we're singing about how he's here and I was just overcome by how the, the reality of God is here in this place. Listen, that's just not you getting goosebumps. That's you encountering the presence of God. Maybe some of you are singing this morning and you just have not experienced love and, and you've been feeling unloved. You've been feeling rejected. But today as we're talking and singing about God, all of a sudden there, there's something going on inside of you. And, and there's this, this new realization. Oh, there's, there's somebody out there, a God who's good and he loves me. And, and that's you experiencing and encountering the presence of God. Their worship is one of the ways that you pursue him with all your heart. Another way is that you set aside time to seek his face each day. Um, going where he is, is is another way. You know, all of you that are, are scheduled for the mission trip, you're going to encounter God in some extraordinary ways. Amen. It's just going to happen. Because uh, one of the things that, that, that I've realized about God is that, and this is a scripture, but God is close to the brokenhearted. There's... God sees the brokenhearted. God sees people that are just in a, a desperate state, and he's, he's just present there in this incredible way. And so when you go, okay, I'm going to pull myself out of my, my comfortable American lifestyle, and I'm going to sacrifice to go be down there and to serve the people that God loves, who he's close to, guess who's right there when you show up to serve? The presence of God. Be praying for this team. We have, I think, 16 people that are signed up to go. And we're believing that they are going to encounter God and you're going to be forever changed. But when you go where God is, he's there in a powerful way. I, I've found that whenever I officiate a funeral, God's just there in an, in an unusual way. And again, you just read through the Gospels and you see that whenever someone had, had passed away, Jesus was just like a magnet. He, 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 he just was, he has something that he just cares for people who are grieving and going through such a difficult time. And so I've found that when I show up at a funeral with that kind of mindset, I'm just, man, the presence of God is here comforting people. When you go where God is, you experience the presence of God. And when you make that your heart's desire, you go, okay, I'm gonna pursue him with all my heart. God sees that. He looks past all the outside and he sees what's going on inside your heart and I'm telling you he will show up in your life in ways that that will leave you ruined for his presence will leave you ruined for his presence you go I, there's nothing better than this I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna live my life going after him chasing after him and God is looking for a people who will be about pursuing his presence who will seek him with all their hearts who won't just be content to be showing up to church because that's what Christians do or you know I just read my Bible because that's what Christians do but you do those things because you're about pursuing him with all your heart God is looking for a people who will, who will do that and will you be one of those who, who pursues him with everything you've got or you, will you be one whose faith is just it's like religion it's like, it's just this formula that you have in life to hopefully live a, a, a happy life with happy this and happy that. If I just follow all the steps, it'll... Which one will you be? 
Will you be one who pursues Jesus with everything you got or someone else? Listen, God paid a great price so that you and I could perceive his presence. God gave, paid a great price so that you and I could come right in to the most holy place. Let's be people. Let's be people that press in. The keep out signs are gone. Jesus says, come on in. The invitation is to, to come. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, what can we say this morning but thank you for the great price that you paid so that we could come right into your presence. God, I thank you that there's no longer a curtain that bars the way from entering into the most holy place. But God, like the writer of Hebrews says, God, that curtain, it's not there anymore. And now the invitation, Jesus, is for us to come right on in. To come right on in. And I thank you, Jesus, that you your heart's desire is that we be close to you. Your heart's desire is that we know you. Your heart's desire is that we encounter you. Not just in an intellectual way in that we, we know about you in our minds, but God, you want us to encounter you with our whole being. I think there's a reason, God, why you say you want us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's because you want us to experience you with our whole entire being. And God, I pray, Lord, that this morning, that Father, um, in all of us here, whether we're in the room or watching online, God, I pray that, that Father, you would just be working in our hearts, God, putting a desire in us, God, to know you and to encounter your presence, to have a relationship with you that's, that goes beyond just being an intellectual type relationship, God, a relationship that, that, that is, a, is about encountering the living God. God, I pray that we would desire that. God, from the, the, the oldest in the room to the youngest, I just come against the lie that would tell the teenagers in the room that this Christianity thing is an adult thing. God, I pray that, that Father, the students in this room, God, would begin to encounter you. God, I pray that even this week, God, whether their heart is to encounter you or not, I pray, Jesus, that God, they would have encounters with you this week. However you need to do that. God, if you need to show up to some teenager's dreams this week and speak to them through their dreams, God, I pray that you would do that. God, if they're just walking through the school and all of a sudden, God, you put a burden on their heart, God, for their classmates, and they're going, what is going on? God, I pray that they would know in that moment that, God, they're encountering you. God, may we be a people that encounters you because, God, there is nothing, nothing as beautiful, as holy, as awesome as encountering the presence of God. Jacob had it right when he woke up from that dream and said, surely God was in this place. How awesome, how awesome is this place because God is here, because God is here. Fan in the flame, got a hunger in our hearts for more of you. For more of you. For more of you. Father, I thank you that, that this morning the invitation for, from you is, is come. You're standing at the door of our hearts. And God, may our hearts be open. May they be open to you, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more song this morning. And the song, we sang the chorus earlier on, but we're going to sing the whole song. And, and this, is, this is how I, I want us to sing the song this morning. If 
God is speaking to you, if something is stirring in your heart this morning and, and you're going, okay, the Christianity that I've been living, God is actually, I, I hear God this morning calling me to something way bigger. I haven't really been like close to him. I haven't really been hearing him. I haven't, Rich, that stuff that you described about just like being ruined, like, I don't have no box for that. I don't even know what that looks like or what that means, but I want it. I want to encounter God. I want to know him more. As we sing this song, you make this your prayer. God, I'm not enough unless you come. Unless you come. God, I, I, I have not for one minute been forsaken. You're in this place. And because you're in this place, I open up my heart. I open up my life to you, Holy Spirit. And so as we sing this song, why don't you stand? And if God has been speaking to you this morning, um, I just invite you to make this song your prayer. You might even just as a, an, an act of, you know, sometimes it's good to put an action to what's going on in our hearts rather than just be it, have it be something that we just kind of keep inside. We, we put some action to it, take a, a step of faith, so to speak. And if, if you're here this morning and God has been speaking to you and you want more of his presence in your life, I'm gonna ask as we sing this song, you just go like this. Just put your hands out. And just let this be a, a, a sign. God, I'm opening up my heart. I'm opening up my life to more of you, Jesus. God bless.